This week's podcast proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge. See, I made the mistake of buying the cheapest shot shells I could find when I first started duck hunting, and I would literally I'd watch feathers fly off of birds as they gave me a middle finger and flew off unscathed. That's when I switched over to Kent, and I was bartending and waiting tables at the time in college, and money was tight, but Kent offered me a great product at a fair price, and I've never looked back. Of course, now we have uh, Fast Deal 2.0. They just released Fast Steel Plus for this upcoming season, and with Dove season on the horizon, we've got Steel Dove, and then Teal Steel for early teal season. Whatever your shotgunning needs are for this fall, Kent has you covered. You can find all of their products at kentcartridge.com. Dot com. This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team, Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. So let me spin you around all over town. I'll take you Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome, everybody, to episode 693 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. And man, oh man, the best time of the year is here. Dove season opened up for many folks on September 1st, which was a Friday. Uh, I generally, (laughs) here's a funny thing. The kids felt like they got ripped off because they were already out of school on Friday, and typically uh, they just don't go to school on September 1st, opening day of hunting season. Uh, so they were a little, I mean, they had, we had a great time. I shot a limit uh, in Collin County. Uh, Aaron came too, was a, the whole family, JoJo, even with the torn ACL, uh, we had to reschedule that surgery, but uh, she picked up all 15 Dove, did a great job. Uh, but the kids, again, they were like, it's just not the same when we don't get to skip school. Uh, so I shot my limit, and I bought all three of the kids' hunting licenses when I picked mine up the other day. And so Henry had his 410, and I said, all right, son, you're up. 25 shells later, he had shot the tail feathers off of one dove, <laughs> so had nothing to show for his effort. But he was having a blast. He would smile. He He would say, sorry, Dad. I'm like, dude. I'm proud of you for trying, man. Are you having fun? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, then just keep shooting. We have we have plenty of shells. Uh, so he shot a whole box, and we packed up, went to the Deerleys, did our first night in the camper, which, by the way, if anyone could help me out with that, uh, I, the AC would come on, and then the, the breaker would trip. Uh, we'd come on for five minutes, breaker would trip. I don't know what's going on. One of the, the guys at the lease just replaced his inverter so we went to haskell the next day paid 300 something bucks for a new inverter aaron who's much more of a handyman than i could ever be 
watched the YouTube. She replaced it herself. She's got wires going everywhere. I was like, okay, I'm going to fill feeders. She's like, I got this, babe. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, she knocked that out of the park. But still, the AC wouldn't come back on. So then I was like, well, what are, uh, what's not right here? So I hooked the camper up to my truck battery, and the AC came back on. So I'm like, okay, so the battery's dead, but it's a brand new battery. I just bought it at AutoZone. It's a marine deep cycle battery. It was like $130. It's not a cheap one. Um, so I, there's something going on with the damn thing, but uh, it was hot during the day. I'll tell you that. Nobody wanted to be in the camper, but uh, at night it got down to the 70s, so we opened up all the windows. We did have electrical power, so here's another little bit of information. So the outlets worked, but the AC, the fridge, not a uh hot water heater nope so i guess anything that w required more than what is it 12 volts uh you know the 30 amp stuff did not did not work um but anybody that has an idea of what that could be what's going on with it please let me know um because even oh even when it was hooked up to the truck battery important also it still would only run for five or ten minutes and then it would trip again so i don't know what's going on um all right. Anyway, back to dove hunting. Henry shot his first two dove on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday afternoon. Um, man, it, it was another. I think he was up to 35 shells. Two dove came in, landed like right in the decoys. We're hunting a little stock tank on the West Texas deer lease. And he smoked one off the ground, which we were all, and the whole family's there. Uh, and JoJo retrieved it. Everybody's so pumped. And then the very next shot, Dropped one out of the air. Uh, super cool. So proud of the kid. And the smile on his face. Uh, pretty awesome for, for all of us to be there to witness that. And, uh, yeah, to finally, to stick with it, you know. After 35 swings and misses, you finally connect on one. Yeah, he was super pumped. Uh, anyway, hope that you guys had a similar weekend. And uh, if you haven't, if you didn't get out or maybe your season hasn't opened up, I hope that uh, you make some great memories in the coming weeks. As far as today goes, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's Beat Up Bold Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And joining us for the duration, our longtime friend, uh, Jesse Dubell of the, I say long time, I guess we've known Jesse for a couple years, but he's been on the show four or five times now. Uh, Jesse Dubell, Executive Director of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation will be here for the duration. Much to discuss with Jesse as far as, you know, we've talked about this before, but as a hunting community, we've been reactionary for far too long. And so we're trying to be more proactive. We're trying to implement laws and legislation that protect our rights in perpetuity because the antis keep coming. And man, they are organized, no doubt about that. Uh, so a lot of what we'll focus on is bears and cougars in New Mexico because, you know, predators are the low-hanging fruit that the antis try to come at first. But will they stop once they ban bear and cougar hunting? No, of course not. They don't want you shooting a white-tailed deer any more than they want you shooting a bear at the end of the day. But it's the uh, emotional ties that they can... And they're smart. The, the heads of those organizations know that it's very easy to get the sheep wound up and emotionally attached to these megafauna predators. So um, the New Mexico Wildlife Federation 
is trying to implement some specific laws to prevent the antis for coming uh, after cougar hunting or hound hunting for bears in the near future because they want to do it. There's no doubt about that. And they won't stop. And, you know, once they check New Mexico off the list, yeah, coming to a state near you, I mean, hell, we've seen it with Texans for mountain lions here in the Lone Star State uh, just in the last year. So uh, interesting stuff to get in with Jesse. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, always great visiting with him. And uh, Oh, and we've got elk season on the horizon. We'll see what his plans are. I'll tell you about my plans. Uh, all that good stuff coming at you on today's broadcast. Let's do a quick giveaway. How about, and this is only if, it's only going to work if you wear a size 10. But uh, I wear a size, apparently nine and a half in Chippewa snake boots. They just sent me a brand new pair. And they were nice enough to say, yeah, if those didn't fit you, we'll send you a nine and a half. And you just give these away. They're not used, by the way. I didn't wear them dove hunting. Uh, I just wore them around the house for a minute. And they just were a smidge too big. Uh, but these snake boots are kick-ass. And we're going to give away a size 10 to one lucky winner. Don't enter if you're not a size 10. What are you going to do with them? They're, they're sitting in my office right now. You're going to do the same thing with them. So, uh, yeah, if you're a 10, why don't you just uh, email Dove. That's Dove to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And you are entered into today's Chippewa Snake Boots giveaway. Coming up next, Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation joins us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. And I would not remember how you broke my heart. If you're looking for a new gun safe, you need to check out the Performance Firearm Storage Solutions from Securit. Unlike traditional safes, Securit products are designed to perform for you. They're lightweight, so you can discreetly store them in any room in the house, and the interior is completely customizable to fit your guns and gear. I would know, I've got four of them. Their fast access storage system keeps my guns and optics organized so they never touch each other or get damaged, and I'm never more than an arm's length away from a firearm. The best part, they're always running great sales. Head over to securitgunstorage.com backslash cable to see their latest promotion, and you can thank me later. Get some gravy, and they wore blue bell bottom jeans and platform shoes. They slapped at the insects while they laughed at the rednecks. They kept all the straight-laced businessmen confused. And the days went by with a red band and a blues. All right. Cable Smith, welcome everybody. Back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Thank you so much for being here. This segment of the show is brought to you by the Mossberg Patriot. The girls just got their first rifle. I got them a pink and black Patriot uh, 243 in the Bantam. That's the youth model. Uh, but whether you're looking for something for your kid or something for you, they've got every caliber in that lineup from 22-250 up to dangerous game calibers like a 375 Ruger. They are ruggedly, reliably American-built straight shooters that aren't going to break the bank. You can find the Patriot series at Mossberg.com. With that being said, Let's bring him on right now, joining us from the Land of Enchantment, a place that I've spent a ton of time in over the years, Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Thanks for being here, brother. Cable, thanks for having me. Appreciate you reaching out, man, and uh, bringing some attention to this super important issue. 100%. Uh, so first of all, before we get into that, how has your summer been? 
fast, man. I, I'll tell you, this summer flew by. You know, I had so many big plans to do all kinds of big trips and adventures and preparation for fall hunting season and all that stuff. But it's uh, it goes by like the blink of an eye. We did make it out to Lake Tahoe and did some lake trout fishing out there in June, which was pretty spectacular. Uh, but actually, the last 60 days has just been focused on fitness, man, just trying to get ready for the upcoming elk hunts. Yeah. I just left the uh, physical therapist trying to get my, my L4, L5, uh, I've got bulging discs. So I was trying to get, um, this has been bothering me for like 10 years. It's from a wreck. Some lady T-boned me on her way to mass. She was late and turned right in front of me. Um, so I guess I T-boned her, but she ran the, she ran the light. And, <laughs> you know, when you're young, actually I was, I'd only been married for six months. So more like 15 years ago. And when you're young like that, they're like, oh, you need to do physical therapy, you know, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. It doesn't hurt right now. But 15 years later, you know, here we are with these degenerative discs. So I was hoping to get these um, injections before my elk hunt. But they said, uh, the doctor was like, no, you, you need like 10 to 14 days of minimal physical activity after you get the shots or you're going to risk hurting yourself. And I was like, well, I'm going elk hunting. He's like, no, no, we're going to have to do the shots after that. <laughs> yeah. So what, what kind of shots are they? Like, are you taking cortisone or something else? Yeah, cortisone and in, in, in like three or four different places um, where, I mean, I've, I've had an MRI done and everything. So the doctor was like, he was showing me, he's like, this is where this one's specifically irritated. You could see this nerve touching here, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. He said, you know, physical therapy shots if you'll actually do the physical therapy this time you know instead of being hard-headed yeah uh, <laughs> sure then you can continue do you know living life the way you want otherwise it's you know go under the knife and you always hear about back surgeries is that you know it's just that's your first one and then you're gonna have another one and yeah, yeah no that's that's a that's a bad road to go down if you can avoid it man i've actually got mm -hmm. this brace on my right elbow now and uh, i was at the game commission meeting on friday our chief wildlife biologist came up to me and said man what did you do to your elbow and i actually don't know it just the joint just hurts like mm. crazy man i i think it's from weightlifting but i i can't point yeah. to one specific event that occurred it's just something's wrong with the joint and it's driving me crazy so i'm on all kinds of like turmeric <laughs> and different oh, yeah. glucosamine chondroitin and every kind of thing you could think of and wearing this brace to try to make it a little better luckily this elk hunt i'm going on next or this week uh a buddy of mine's the hunter so i don't have to worry about drawing back a bow but i've got a coos deer hunt in january and mm. i got i mean right now the way my elbow is i don't know that i'd be able to draw my bow so i've got a mm. uh, work to do in advance of that archery hunt well so it's funny getting old sucks for sure i'm 42 how old are you 43 okay so we're we're right there but then i'm looking at my dad who is a, the most avid fisherman i know like when we go on these backpacking trips to your neck of the woods, like all he's going to do is sit there and fish. There's couldn't be bothered to go hiking or anything else, but he'll hike to where the biggest fish are. And he just had his hip replaced. And I'm over here bitching about my back and he's walking <laughs> up from the mountain with, with this fake hip that he just got. In the, he was more like limping up there, but he's like, I don't care wherever the big fish are, you know, we got to get there. So. Oh, that's awesome, man. I love that. But yeah, I'm headed back for archery elk. Um, so super pumped about that. You mentioned when are you, when are you, uh, when are you moving your cable? Uh, you do all your well, outdoor recreation yeah, here. So it just I'm seems gonna, for September, I'm, I'm moving there on the 14th. <laughs> <laughs> and I, won't, I, I told uh, my wife, this one's open-ended. So when the season ends, <laughs> that's when I'll be home. Uh, so I think it's awesome. like nine day. I think the second archery season is like nine days or something. So 
Yeah, that's going to be great, man. Those bulls are going to be screaming. And finally, we're getting some rain up there, too. You know, the, the mm. rains have finally started up there. It's really late coming this year, but conditions are looking really good, man. I drove through that country just yesterday, and uh, it was it was pretty awe-inspiring. And, of course, you were just up in northern New Mexico, so you know all yeah. about it. Rained every day. I was there. It was great. Like, hard, that's- like good rain, too. So we spent a lot of time under tarps playing spades when uh, when that was going on. <laughs> Cool. Good, man. And nothing better than a, than a summer rainstorm in the high mountains of New Mexico. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned coos deer. I've uh, I got my first coos deer hunt coming up as well this fall. I don't know if that's something you've done before, but uh, going to Sonora, Mexico. So not a not a drawn hunt or anything like that, but uh, a little little something different to do and an animal that I've never pursued before. Yeah, well, I'll be just north of the Mexican border. I could, from where I'll be hunting, I could throw a rock into Mexico. Um, I've hunted coos deer quite a few times. They're a very challenging species to hunt with archery equipment. Um, I mean, they're they're challenging to hunt no matter what. There's a reason they call them the gray ghosts. Those things can just absolutely disappear. You know, you see one, you're glassing it up, you spot it, it's broadside. You turn to your buddy to try to explain to him where the deer is, and then you can't find it. <laughs> might never see it again you know they're just they're they're there one minute and gone the next but they inhabit some of the most incredible landscapes it's just it's it's fantastic i've never hunted sonora i know a lot of folks that have and you're gonna have a blast i mean you're gonna be hooked you're gonna you mm. definitely want to go back well i hunted mule deer down there uh last year and it was crazy because you fly from well, for me, I flew from DFW to Herma, uh, to uh, Phoenix, and then from Phoenix is where you catch the direct flight to Hermosillo. And this was like a, I think it was a four-seater plane, you know, small plane, probably had 50 people on it, but every person on that plane was a hunter, every single one. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah. No, that's, that's cool. That's kind of how it feels like when you take a trip to Alaska or when you go to South Dakota for the opening of pheasant season or something. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about different issues over the past couple of years, and New Mexico, for whatever reason, seems to be right in the crosshairs of the the anti-hunting organizations, more so than other states. Like, was it last year that you guys, uh, unfortunately, had the trapping ban passed on, on public land? It was 2021. It was in the 2021 oh. legislative session. So the way our legislation... Uh, our legislative sessions work in New Mexico is every odd year is a 60 day session. That's when you get the diversity of bills introduced. And then every even year. So like the year coming up 2024 is just a 30 day budget session. So it's mm-hmm. rare that we have to find ourselves defending major attacks during the budget session. Cause they're just generally not found to be germane or appropriate to be introduced in a 30 day session. Uh, but on the long sessions, yeah, the last long one, 2021, we lost trapping. And uh, on all public lands across the state and in the next long session, which will be 2025, our concern is that there's going to be a big effort to outlaw the hunting of animals, primarily bears and and mountain lions with hounds. You know, hound hunting seems to be kind of the next lowest hanging fruit on the tree Mm. um, from the perception of those individuals who don't approve of hunting as a, you know, allowable activity yeah i'm still eating a black bear that i chase with dogs in new mexico uh (laughs) i think it's been there 18 months but we got most of it ground into like breakfast sausage and taco meat and stuff and yeah it's phenomenal although 
That is the one animal when I'm cooking, my wife's like, oh, you're making bear. Like she can just smell like it's distinct for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I had a wonderful hunt with hounds up there. Oh, I can't remember exactly where I was, but, uh, but uh, with this kid, Devin Chavez, who has a great string of dogs and we had a great time. Uh, and there's no science to, you know, support. There was no science to support that we should ban trapping on public land. But uh, now here we are having to be, and I will say it's great. You know, I got the email uh, from New Mexico Wildlife Federation that you sent out. And it seems like you guys are being very proactive on this front, trying to make sure, you know, that that prediction of what they're going to try to do in 2025 doesn't come to fruition. Yeah, we, we've been, we've, We've known this was going to happen. We've we've known this was coming for a long time. I mean, the writing's on the wall, and we all we we know cable and the listeners to your show know that it's not so it's it's not a situation where where folks who don't want to see the continuation of hunting are going to go after hunting as a whole and try to outlaw the entire activity. They go for the low hanging fruit. They chip away at it and get it piece by piece by piece. And so when we lost trapping on public lands, those of us who are are very intricately engaged in these issues in new mexico anticipated that the hound hunting issue would be next and for that reason we've been trying to pass legislation in the state that would that would make bears and cougars subject to the same wanton waste law as every other big game species in the state with the exception of javelina so Mm. no one's going after javelina hunting at the moment but those three species bear cougar and javelina are currently not included in our wanton waste statute meaning a hunter could, if they chose to, legally kill a bear and cougar, take the hide, cut off the head, and leave the entire carcass out in the field. Whereas with deer, elk, and other animals, you have to remove the edible portions from the field. The reason we've been working so hard to get that legislation passed is we feel like as long as those species don't have to be removed from the field, that it creates a much more attractive target to the anti-hunters, and it creates more talking points and more messaging that can be uh, manipulated to convince folks who don't have an opinion about hunting one way or the other that the hunting for bears and cougars should be outlawed. So it's we feel yeah. like like there's a vulnerability there that we need to fix. And you mentioned that last time we spoke. We spoke about a, a different topic, and then I think we kind of piggybacked this into that discussion. But you were visiting with somebody. I don't remember what organization it was, but anti-hunting, you know, higher up. And they're like, no, we don't want that to pass because we want the ability to come after, you know, we want a hunter to leave a bear carcass right by a trail and, and let us get some graphic photographs of it uh, and then put that all over social media and make you guys look bad. So it's interesting Absolutely. because we can all on the surface be like, <laughs> that's a good rule. We should have to take the bear and the cougar out of the field, right? Uh, yeah, and I did have a number of hunters who expressed frustration with our effort to get those species added. Some Some outfitters, in fact, who guide hunters and like look if my hunter kills a giant bear and he wants a bear rug i shouldn't have to bring out that carcass and and i was explaining to the outfitter look it's the right thing to do for the future of of the activity quite frankly and even if your hunter doesn't want to consume it there's a million other ways to distribute that protein i mean from the donation certificates that are included in the back of the big game rules and information booklet i mean the, the idea is Hell, feed it to your dogs like 
Exactly. The, the law says that the edible portions must be removed from the field. The law doesn't say that, you know, New Mexico Department of Game and Fish is going to come and do an inventory on your freezer and then check what's in your crock pot in the kitchen and make yeah. sure that you're eating every last bite of food that's on your plate. That's not what the law says. It says that the edible portions have to be removed. I recognize that in certain situations that could be an inconvenience. But the question is, is that inconvenience worth the insurance policy that it provides as we fight to protect this activity? And I would argue that it is. Mm -hmm. Well, and we've, you know, we have a history, a recent history in this country of states banning hound hunting. Uh, when I started this show in 2009, you could hunt bears and bobcats in California with hounds. And it was like 2011. I think they're like, Nope, that's gone. Uh, Colorado, you can hunt mountain lions with hounds which i've done but you cannot hunt black bear i don't under make that make sense right when you can go next door to utah and you can hunt both with hounds so doesn't make sense well, let's do this let's knock out a quick break here we'll come back and uh continue with this discussion specifically though why new mexico it seems like the land of enchantment is consistently in the crosshairs more so than other states. I don't know if there's a reason for that, but uh, we'll get your take. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by NUMA, geared for the outdoors. Check it out. The new Renegade Pant, perfect for that early to mid-season archery hunt. It's what I'll be taking to uh, New Mexico next week. You can find the Renegade uh, Pant as well as the Renegade Hoodie. It's light, airy, breathable as well. Right there at numaoutdoors.com and Use that promo code LONESTAR20 to save 20% off your entire order. Oh, and by the way, it's guaranteed for life. Who does that? It's insane. We'll be right back with more from Jesse Dubell on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. If you were half a man, you'd be there by her side. I guess whiskey goes down easier than pride. I bet I look crazy to everyone else. As a very own Tori Morrow bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today. We are still chatting with Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. And we'll get back into that discussion in just a sec. This segment, though, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and the 600-pound stand and fill. You no longer need a ladder. You don't need to back your truck up. You just stand there and fill the feeder. It's that easy, and it's built sturdy enough uh, so that feral hogs and livestock can't knock it over. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, let's get back into it with Jesse Dubell. Why, why New Mexico, though? Why do you think your state specifically has a, seems to have a target on its back right now? I, I think there's a variety of reasons. One of them has to do with the fact that we're a progressive state. I mean, you know, our legislature is, is predominantly um, Democrats. And I think a lot of times these type of, of efforts to ban hunting activities are 
seen as more favorable by a more blue leaning political environment. Oh, no. Let's call a spade a spade. I, I shoot <laughs> from the hip. Ninety nine percent of anti hunting legislation is introduced by Democrats. That's just the, the truth. Uh, same with guns. You know, it's the truth. So you can tell me till you're blue in the face. No, that's not the way it is. But I'll be like, OK, well, show me show me the anti hunting bill that Republicans tried to pass. Well, I would some, argue but very few. Very few, yeah. I think the repeal on Pittman-Robertson, the Return Act, which was sponsored by Republican in Georgia, was one of the most anti-hunting pieces of federal legislation we've seen in a long time. And I commend the That's hunting true. community for stepping up and saying, wait a minute, bad idea. Maybe the intentions were good. Maybe mm -hmm. the idea behind it you know, was was well-intentioned, but that that bill was was a disaster. Yeah, Representative Clyde certainly missed the mark on that one. And, and I like him, but uh, he's been on the show, but yeah, that was uh, very mis- but you're right. I mean, the more progressive leaning political environment in the state. And I'm not obviously I don't you know, I the New Mexico Wildlife Federation doesn't try to play partisan politics or blue or red. We right. focus on on the issues. But I do think that the more progressive leaning political environment in the state makes it more attractive for the national organizations, because one thing that's important to keep in mind here is that this effort, while while it shows itself in New Mexico is not being led exclusively by New Mexicans. I mean, we've got efforts by people in Sacramento, California, who are trying to ban these activities that exist For in New sure. Mexico. When the trapping ban was going on, it was the whole nation rallied around, you know, that uh, movement, which happened to be taking place, you know, ground zero was here in New Mexico, but, but it's recruiting support from all over the country. So, so that's a big part of it, I think, is is the political leanings of the state. The other thing that we're working hard to change, but New Mexican hunters, and I'm going to take a lot of heat for saying this, but they don't show up. I mean, they they just don't show up. I would, whether it's a game commission meeting, a state legislative committee hearing, an interim committee hearing, what it's very very rare to see a large uh, concentration of hunters driving across the state or even showing up on Zoom now on every single game commission meeting that happens now, there's a virtual option where a hunter can log in through the Zoom link. Our state game commission provides two opportunities for public comment, one at the very start of the meeting. So if anyone doesn't want to stick around for the entire day long meeting, they can get their two cents in right at the start of the meeting. There's a second general public comment period at the end of the meeting. So if you want to respond to anything that happened during the meeting, you can do that. But we don't show up. And, and that's really, really unfortunate, Cable. And it's, again, something I've been trying to change for, for a long time. The, uh, the folks who don't approve of hunting, you know, various organizations out there, they show up. I mean, they show up in full force oftentimes. Oh you know, like they, and Randy Newberg always says, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And that's part of the problem in New Mexico is, is the hunters don't show up to the table. And I think that's been noticed by these organizations across the country, and it makes us more attractive uh, of a state to organize in because the hunting community is so disorganized. Well, I went to Austin last August to speak at our uh, commission meeting for the year, and there was this big push to to list mountain lions as a you know big game and even protected species in Texas, which we've treated mountain lions like coyotes forever. And we have, in my opinion, and, and if you talk to ranchers or, or South Texas property owners, we have more mountain lions today than we ever have. So, and hunters aren't targeting mountain lions 
they, you know, one gets shot at a deer feeder occasionally. Uh, and then some guys chase them with hounds, but, um, by and large they're, you know, it's a opportunistic deal. Oh, there's a mountain lion. Oh, here's my rifle, you know? Um, but the anti-hunting groups and the Sierra clubs and defenders of wildlife and all, every one of them was represented there. And there were, I would say it was split 50, 50, you know, as far as ranchers, trappers and hunters that were there to speak out against those groups. But it gave me a very uh, visceral reality as far as you know, listening to these people speak. Because I sat there and listened to every one of them talk till the the thing was over, and it's all just emotional cries. There's no there's no science behind any of it. Nothing any of them said made any sense scientifically. Uh, but they are they were they're so well organized. That's the main thing, and we are not. And it's not unique to New Mexico. Like, I mean. Texas hunters, uh, they probably are a little more invested, but still, we can do. We can all do better. Yeah, well, as as you know, so going back to the Baron Cougar issue in New Mexico, the reason we're talking about this now, and this is a little bit complicated. I hope your listeners will track on this because it's kind of hard to follow. So I'm talking about the 2025 legislative session, and here we are in August of 2023. But the reason this became such a hot topic is because in the state of New Mexico, almost all big game species run on a four-year rule cycle, meaning the rules are set and they exist in that form for a period of four years, and then the rule automatically reopens and is reassessed by the New Mexico Department of Game and Fish Biologists during which time there's a public comment period, their proposals come up for review, commissioners review them, the general public has an opportunity to chime in. And this year, 2023, was the the four-year rule cycle opening for the Baron Cougar Rule, which are lumped together in the state of New Mexico, the Baron Cougar Rule state. You know, it's one rule that governs both species. So when the rule opened, um, I immediately saw an outpouring of opposition against the department's proposal. Now, the department's proposal was a great one. It was they're 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 using all the best science, and this is peer-reviewed science. This is not like New Mexico Department of Game and Fish Biologists coming up with their own techniques to do surveys on animals. And it's not just visual surveys like aerial flyovers, which are one tool that the department uses. But there's also like hair snares. You put these little pieces of barbed wire out on these stations and bears go by and it snags a chunk of their hair. And what's beautiful about the hair snares is you then do a DNA sample. So if you have two hair snares two miles from one another and you take both samples and it's the same bear, you're only counting that bear once. Whereas if you're doing an aerial flyover, you might count the same bear twice. Now you think you have two bears and it was the same bear you saw on two different occasions. So the science is always changing and improving, but we're using the best science any agency in the entire country is using. And we've taken best practices from other states. And this science has been peer reviewed and has appeared in in scientific journals. And so each unit has a strict quota. That's right. And what you'll see, you know, for those folks paying close attention, you'll see that the the quota is actually an upper limit. So it's not necessarily a quota. It's it's a maximum limit, which is which is slightly different, because what you'll find in New Mexico is that we almost never hit the upper limit. In other words, right. the seasons close before we've ever taken the maximum number of animals that were allowed to be taken during that season that hunting season. So based on all the science, which is good science, 
uh, yeah, I, the term best available science is kind of a tricky term sometimes because, you know, someone at Sierra Club will provide you with some scientific information that they consider to be the best that was all right. done by their highly biased contract, you know, people that they've hired or whatever. So uh, so it's a tricky term, but I would say that the, the science the department's working with is as good as any science governing wildlife management anywhere in the United States of America. But I noticed instantly when the rule opened this huge amount of opposition coming in from kind of the anti-hunting groups. And basically what the, what the department proposed is for the most part, everything stays the same with the exception of a couple units where harvest limits were increased. Again, not so much of a quota, but a limit. Mm-hmm. The harvest limits were increased in some areas. And there are certain areas where they didn't actually have allowable predator, predator hunting for bears and cougars. And population estimates um, dictated that, hey, we should the hunting for those species should be open in these units. Mm -hmm. So the proposal by the department was just an expansion of the existing rule. One other change that was proposed is that right now, if, for example, any animal bear or cougar that's harvested, you have to take the tag in. I mean, the pelt in to be tagged. So you, you've got to take the pelt into the department so they can tag it. They take a DNA sample. They, you know, make sure it's, it's so legal. How does that differ from what I, what I had to do when I killed my bear there? I wanted to go fly fishing and I wanted to go grouse hunting. I had my dog with me. And so I wanted to do that as fast because I, I called the game wardens be like, Hey, can I bring this to you? And they'd be like, you know, it was, it was hard to sync up where we were going to meet. And so I just said, look, I'm going to take it to this taxidermist. And they're going to freeze it for me and hold it until I, you know, drive back to Texas. And the, I, I guess, game warden or wildlife agent just went to the taxidermist and inspected it and everything uh, and then signed off on it. I think they maybe took a tooth or something, too. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. The reason they do that is because currently when the feet – so there's two – there's two harvest limits. One is a total number of bears or cougars. The second one is a female limit. So the female limit's going to be a lot lower. So to, to use easy numbers, let's just say bear management zone one would have 10 total bears taken. The unit's going to close down. Or if four females get taken, for example, the unit closes down. Mm-hmm. So you could have 10 total bears or a female limit. So the reason that a hunter, whether the hunter presents the, the pelt him or herself or whether the officer views the pelt at a taxidermist or game processor or some other place the reason that that animal the harvest has to be reported as soon as practically possible so once you killed that bear you contacted someone at department of game and fish and we're supposed to do that as soon as practically possible Mm -hmm. because it's a hunter's responsibility in new mexico to know where those limits stand on any given day because once the harvest limit whether the total number of females or the total number of animals is reached that zone closes so you've got to know you know that the zone is open when you're hunting and because sometimes you don't have cell coverage, because sometimes, you know, you're in an area where it could be that the zone closes and two or three more animals trickle in after the zone had been officially closed. That could totally happen right now. And the way it's always worked is that whenever the department gets within 10 percent of the female take, they close the zone. So they don't wait until they actually get to the full limit of female harvest. They close it at 10 percent. And in the original proposal, which the Department of Game and Fish changed on Friday, but in the original proposal, they did away with that. And they weren't going to close the unit until they got to the actual number. 
because their their harvest limits are so conservative, if a few more animals trickled in even after they closed the unit, it really wouldn't matter. I mean, it's well, not I'm all it's for, not like uh, increased hunter opportunity, which is what that is, right? It's more opportunity if the science supports it. So, and like I said, how just they're very thorough. Uh, and when I killed a mountain lion in Colorado seven eight years ago, same thing. Game warden came and you know pulled the tooth and aged the lion and. Uh, tagged it and then said, yeah, here, congratulations. Thanks for coming to Colorado. Here you go. Thanks for supporting conservation. Yeah. And so you supported conservation, obviously, by purchasing your licenses and all of the economic benefits. But that data is also super valuable. And that's one thing that people don't realize we lost when we lost trapping is we lost hundreds of citizen scientists who are out in the field providing crucial data to the Department of Game and Fish. When they would catch a swift fox, for example, which most most trappers wouldn't keep a swift fox because the pelt's just not, it's not worth the time to, to deal with it. They would generally release it. But every trapper I know was keeping documentation of those animals and then providing that to Game and Fish for additional you know, information that the department could use to manage our wildlife. So there's a lot of things, when we lose an activity like this, there's a lot of other impacts that sometimes aren't thought about but going back to this baron cougar proposal everything the department was proposing was good for hunters you know increased harvest limits extra seasons and areas that didn't have seasons before closing down the unit when you hit the actual you know limit instead of when you got within 10 percent of the limit so it was all positive for hunters but what i saw was the anti-hunters bombarding the agency and bombarding the commission with comments that hunting for bears and cougars needs to be stopped entirely completely a lot of comments to that effect a lot of comments targeting bear and lion hunting with hounds specifically so there was an attack on hunting bears and lions period there was attack on attacks on hound hunting and that caused me to want the hunting community to step up and counterbalance those comments because the hunters weren't commenting every hunter who read the proposal liked it there was no reason i mean the comment would have read, hey, this is great. We support this proposal. Move forward with it. But for whatever reason, the the mentality of the hunters in New Mexico are like, well, if it looks good to us, then no need to take action. And so we ended up quickly into a situation where the anti-hunting comments outweighed the hunting comments by about 200 to 1 at one oh, point. Wow. Of course, yeah, you had about they're well organized, like we talked about. Exactly. And so they had a ton of comments in and there's really no risk i felt no risk that this state game commission that we're that we have right now in place and we're still two commissioners short we're supposed to have seven commissioners we have five but i wasn't concerned that the commission was going to take this open rule as an opportunity to ban that activity entirely so that was going to be my next question you know we've seen it in states like washington where they ban the spring bear hunt because you get a liberal left-leaning governor uh, they stack the commission with people of like-mindedness that are anti-hunting. And next thing you know, hunters are losing rights. Uh, it sounds like you guys are at least in a good place with the existing five commissioners. Well, it is concerning. And, and I, I don't know that I'd go so far as to call the commission decent. Uh, what I'd say is two of the commissioners... <laughs> Two of the commissioners are are, are pretty avid hunters. Uh-huh. Uh, the other three commissioners are pretty indifferent to the whole thing. They they were placed in the commission, I have to assume, for political reasons. And it, most of that related to the stream access stuff we were dealing with. But yeah. what I will say about this commission is they do a very good job of listening to the agency biologists. So in almost every case, the agency biologists provide the recommendation 
and the commissioners, because they don't know any better. I mean, they don't, most of our commissioners, good or bad, they don't have a clue when it comes to wildlife management. So a chief wildlife biologist who's received national accolades and recognition in front of his peers because he's truly a phenomenal scientist says here's here's what we should do and here's the data to support that and here's all the stuff the commission is pretty friendly to to following those recommendations okay so your game commission doesn't completely have their head in the sand you said maybe they're not decent but um, they're not terrible so that's more than some states can say but there was a real problem a, a real threat we as a hunting community rallied, though. I want to get into that next and explain exactly what happened. Uh, that segment of the presentation brought to you by the Stealth Cam Deceptor, the, the latest innovation in Stealth Cam's uh, cellular camera lineup. You can pick one up for like 130 bucks. Data plans as cheap as $5 a month. You can see their entire lineup, including the Deceptor, right there at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. All I want is what I Trade it all just to get her back. She's moving on, but I guess I'm not. Yeah, we all want what we ain't got. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Hey, this is Michael Hunsucker with Heartland Bow Hunter. Thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Our old friend Aaron Lewis bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for being here today. We're going to pick it back up with uh, Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation in just a second. This segment, though, proudly brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants and Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. And with that being said, Jesse, you know, we talked about your game commission um, typically is, is being open to science-based wildlife management. That's more than some states can claim <laughs> in 2023. Um but there was a real threat as far as the immediate reaction. And uh, we as a, a hunting community were kind of taking it in the short. So explain the situation and how we were able to uh, get that thing turned around. What I feared, Cable, and, and still fear, is that if we'd have seen thousands of comments supporting an outright ban on barren cougar hunting, 
and a handful of comments saying, oh, this is a great proposal. We support it. So the public comment was drastically skewed. Then what happens is in the 2025 legislative session, the people who want to ban bear and cougar hunting. So keep in mind, the Game Commission exists within the executive branch of government. That's one way to change. That's one way to outlaw or to eliminate bear and cougar hunting would be to get the executive branch of government to do it. And that would be the Game Commission play. But the other way to do it is a legislative play. If you can get the state legislature to ban it, then it doesn't matter what the Game Commission would do. And when you get these organized, these highly organized, well-spoken groups show up with data that say, look, thousands and thousands of people called for the elimination of this activity, but 17 people said they liked it and the commission kept it anyway. That's why we need the legislature to step up because clearly the game commission is not looking out for the best interest of the people of New Mexico Mm -hmm. and legislators are tasked to serving the people. If you want to serve the people, you must ban this activity. And here's the numbers. Here's the public comment breakdown that proves what I'm saying is true. It proves that people don't want these activities to continue. That argument would have been incredibly difficult to overcome during the 2025 legislative session. So did we get, uh, because you sent out the call to action email, uh, did we get a lot of signatures? And does it have to be someone from New Mexico? Because as we've talked about, like I was just there last week, I'm going back in two weeks. I spent a lot of time in New Mexico. Can a non-resident also, you know, do I have a voice? Do I have a seat at the table? Absolutely. I, everybody in the country has a voice. So it, It gets complicated because wildlife should be managed for the benefits of the residents of each state, but wildlife belongs to all of the residents in the country, really. Uh, And and so we see it with the anti-hunters. They're very good at recruiting people from California and New York and Chicago and these major metropolitan areas to, to comment on issues even that exist outside their states. So to answer your question, yes, and it became evident pretty early on in this process that that was the only way that new mexicans were going to be able to outperform the anti-hunting sentiments in the comments is if we recruited the help of our brothers and sister hunters from all over the country and i have to throw a shout out to to howl for wildlife i mean howl without howl i don't it things would have gone very, very bad because the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, we put out action alerts, we sent out emails, we did everything we could to to get comments generated. And, and we generated a few. I mean, some trickled in. Backcountry hunters and anglers, I know you have some history there, but they did the same thing. They were also trying to get They're people not all to... bad. <laughs> <laughs> but they tried like crazy to to get folks to comment again with limited success. We got a few well, I applaud comments them for that. You know, I, I um, you know they do some good things. Like generally speaking, not a fan, but that's great that they were able to to um, use their resources to help in this fight. Charles Whitwam, though, over at Howl for Wildlife, I'm a huge fan of what they're doing. So. That's great to hear that they were. Able yeah, and Charles to... is who I called ultimately when yeah. when I found when when we just were getting completely annihilated when with the ratio of anti-hunting comments to pro proposal comments, if you will, it, I started to go into panic mode. I called the president of the Mexico Houndsman Association and said, "Man, we're getting killed here. This is your activity that uh, that we're going to lose. You're next on the chopping block." He knows that. We've been talking about that since before the trapping ban. We got to stop the trapping ban because otherwise, you're next. You know, so. Right. Um, we, we were all kind of in panic mode. And I, I finally, uh, I texted Charles at how I said, Charles, I need your help. And he said, you know, 
helped me come up with some talking points and messaging and all the stuff. And so he and I worked together. Uh, I've worked closely with Charles in the past, also with John Stallone. The whole team at Howell is is exceptional. Yeah. And because of the amazing platform and process that they've created, you know, they've got the technological stuff down. They just know how to, they have a huge reach all over the country. Uh, because of Howell's involvement, the pro hunting comments outweighed the anti hunting comments by about three to one in the final count going into this last Friday's game commission meeting. So again, that doesn't have any influence over how the commission's going to act. They'd have done the same thing either way, but now the anti hunting organizations can't show up in the 2025 legislature and say the commission didn't do what they should have done. The right. commission didn't listen to the people. They can't say that it's documented historically. We have more comments than them now. So Exactly. So it doesn't mean that we're in the clear. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have to still, you know, get ready for a, a another defensive legislative session in 2025 as it relates to this issue. But it, it changes the playing field drastically, in my opinion. And I, I can't thank Howell enough for for all their hard work and jumping on it so quickly. And um, thanks to everybody from anywhere in the country who commented. And as I worked to come up with the messaging, I tried to make so many of those comments very relevant to the non-resident by talking about the economic benefits that non-residents provide to the state when they travel here and when they stay at the local hotel and hire the outfitter and eat at the restaurants and all the different things. So so those non-resident comments were were also very well structured in such a way that they would be relevant to the commissioner and or the agency biologists who are reading the comments. Well, that's good that our our small little non-resident voices were able to uh, be heard here. because, And we've talked about this too, because by and large, non-residents fund, uh, you know, New Mexico wildlife. What It's uh, New Mexico game and fish. Uh, I don't, you know the number. I don't know it off the top of my head, but percentage wise, you know, I think my elk tag was, 700 and something dollars and yours is probably yeah. 40 or 50 80 but yeah 80. i mean it, but but yeah you're absolutely right it's a huge thing and and it's so complicated because elk is the cash cow in the state of new mexico of course because of a the price of the permits and b the number of permits sold bear and cougar hunting in new mexico is just not that huge of a deal and so right. a lot of the anti-hunters were making accusations that the agency was only protecting bear and cougar hunting and increasing the opportunities because of economic reasons to fund the agency and put more money in their pockets. And if you look at the percentage of the agency's annual budget, that's a result of Baron Cougar licenses from hunters or, or, I mean, from residents or non-residents, it's pretty insignificant. Like, yeah. Um, you know, I, hopefully this won't be misinterpreted, but if Baron, well, that's not unique to New Mexico. No, Pick I think it's across the state. Yeah. yeah, across the board. So if you stop that activity, it's not like the department would go bankrupt. That's not that wasn't the basis of our argument on this particular issue. It came down to a couple of things. One of them is science-based wildlife management. If we're going to claim to follow the North American model of wildlife conservation, then we have to understand that these decisions need to be made based on on, on scientific approaches. The second thing is active management. I mean, it Look, I the anti-hunting comments, almost every single one of them had some kind of version of a statement that bears and cougars regulate themselves. They're re self-regulating species and they won't get overpopulated and there's no need for human intervention and all this stuff. The reality is that, as you know, Cable, we've altered, humans have altered the world in such a way through 
human development and urban sprawl and fragmentation of habitat. Thirty million people in our country. And they're like, yeah. Well, we gotta go. We gotta like leave it how it was in 1832. And we're like, well, okay. Well, there's 330 million people, and guess what? We're we're the apex predator. I know people. People. Some people are like, no, a bear could rip your face off and you know kill you. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I also have a gun and I could shoot the bear. I walk on two feet. We're having a conversation, communicating on some technology called Zoom, right? So it's it's our job, whether you believe in God or you believe in just scientific wildlife management, the, the outcome's the same. It's our responsibility to manage wildlife effectively with an ever-increasing uh, population, not just here, but you know globally as well. It's only going one direction. So take away, if you take away us, the, the hunting community, just go Deb Howland's route of preservation. <laughs> you know, I'm not a fan of her. <laughs> Uh, then, then the wildlife's going to lose across the board. Well, the other thing that we've seen, and we've seen this happen over and over, you've seen it in California with cougars, you've seen it in British Columbia with grizzly bears. If you were to outlaw the hunting of those animals, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're saving the lives of the animals. In British Columbia, you got government snipers, essentially. You know, you, you got people who were hired and paid to go and manage these animals where previously hunters were actually paying and contributing to local economies to do the same job. And in both cases, the animal dies. So like this, it's, it's this dream world that, that some folks are kind of existing in where California, they think that uh, pays, you know, mountain lion trappers to remove excess lines. The state of Idaho shoots wolves out of a helicopter. This is stuff that people don't know. Like it's not, we don't put it out there and broadcast it because it, again, the anti-hunting community can use it as ammunition against us. So you're not going to see Idaho Fish and Game posting a photo of the 30 wolves they shot out of a helicopter. They're just not going to do it. They don't really even want to talk about it, but they do it. Um, right. And that, I was going to ask you this because it, this conversation, going back to the, the trapping bill, got me thinking about the relationship between Colorado and New Mexico. Colorado just voted, well, not just, but in recent history, let the population decide, hey, we're going to dump wolves back into this landscape that like we just talked about has been manipulated by humans now for 150 years or whatever it is you guys are neighbors with colorado i'm thinking maybe they maybe this the, the pro wolf faction had something to do with uh getting this this trapping ban implemented to protect wolves because they're gonna they're, you know they're gonna be knocking on new mexico new mexico's doorstep in the near future well we've already got you know plenty of wolves 241 roughly you know mexican gray wolves different right. species than those northern wolves that are up in colorado but during the public comment periods at commission meetings and also during the legislative committee hearings there were countless um references to mexican gray wolves being accidentally trapped things like that so that's absolutely there's a connection there no question about it a lot of the mexican gray wolf enthusiasts in the state were pretty opposed to colorado actually being uh, proactive in importing wolves. There, there is some serious concern that those northern wolves are going to merge with the Mexican gray wolves. And then because the northern wolves are larger and more dominant, that you're going to end up with genetic swamping and we're going to actually lose the pure strain of Mexican gray wolves that exist in New Mexico. So it's kind of an interesting thing, but a lot of, a lot of the real, uh, pro-Mexican gray wolf advocates didn't necessarily support the move in Colorado, but I could assure you they all supported the, the ban on trapping on yeah. public lands in New Mexico. That's for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, that ban is super unfortunate. There's a lawsuit now to try to overturn it because there's some, 
there's some complicated things about the band. One of those things is that um, Native Americans can still trap on public lands if they're acquiring parts of animals that are to be used in their religious ceremonies. Okay. So if, if there's some kind of spiritual or sacred um, significance to say a coyote pelt, and, and I'm, that's just one example, well, then, in, then Native Americans in the state of New Mexico can still trap on public land. Well, that puts law enforcement officers in a very precarious situation because now you've got a game warden out in the field who sees someone trapping and they're tasked with essentially deciding whether or not this individual is legal and acquiring this animal for religious purposes uh-huh. consistent with you know their their uh tribal affiliation or or are they not right that's a tricky thing and and i don't think that's why the game warden went to game warden school was to decipher <laughs> that like wait, wait, wait tell yeah, me about it, your religious affiliation again I mean, you, you know, don't look, you don't look brown enough to me. I don't know. Are you? You look like you might be a white person saying you're. You know. But hey, it's in 2023. You can say whatever. You can be whatever you want. You can just say it, and it, it exists. So it's yeah. The whole thing is tricky. I love Jesse. So, he doesn't get. He laughs, but he doesn't get drawn off sides into the. Well, I my you know I I just I have to try to stay focused on the issue at hand. Um, got a lot of thoughts for sure, but. The thing that's interesting, there's a lawsuit now to try to overturn this public land trapping ban. I I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, there's there's other cases, you know, uh, Native Americans can have eagle feathers as one example where you and I can't. So there's other, I think, situations where similar kind of com- complex issues um, are decided in the in the way that whether or not trapping on public lands in New Mexico is legal or not is decided. My point on this thing, especially with bear and cougars and hound hunting, is that we can't lose it. You know, this idea that yeah. you think we're going to lose it and somehow get it back through the judicial uh-huh. system or some other way. Once it's gone, I, I'm a firm believer that it's gone forever. And and yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to see this lawsuit succeed and trapping to be allowed again in New Mexico public lands. But I, it's so unlikely. My point to the the hunters who are listening to your show cable is don't allow them to get it, because if they get it, we're not going to get it back. Yeah, there's no doubt. Once it's gone, it's gone. Very rarely does it ever get overturned. But there is a thing, kind of a, a new trend that uh, states are taking part in to protect us from things like losing trapping. I think you guys have a glaring hole in your constitution that's leaving you very exposed. Um, we'll talk about that, among other things, after the break. That segment of the show brought to you by the Armasite 640 Contractor. I've looked through a lot of thermal scopes in my day. The 640 is the best of the best. Super friendly user interface, internal recording, diverse color palette, you name it. It's all right there in this compact, effective, and uh, absolutely stunning thermal optic. You can find it at armorsight.com. We'll be right back on the Star Outdoor Show. So right here, right now, it's my life to live. I'm gonna pop a top and start checking off my beer bucket list. 
In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Let me tell you about the Armorsite 640 contractor. It is the industry-leading thermal technology in a very user-friendly rifle scope. A 640 Armor Core 12 Micro made in the USA Thermal Core. It's got a four-hour onboard recording, four-hour runtime on a full charge, USB and Wi-Fi streaming, uh, eight user-selectable reticles and six color palettes, and the most user-friendly interface out there because you're operating these things in the dark. So uh, that's very important. You can find the contractor, the 640, or its little brother, the 320, right there at Armorsite.com. Early one morning while making the rounds, I took a shot of cocaine and I shot my woman down. I went right home and I went to bed. I stuck in love. The Man in Black bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Uh, this segment of the show. Brought to you by the all-new Switchback Carbon Tripod from Vortex. It packs light, adapts fast, and stands solid under both glass and gun. It delivers superior strength-to-weight ratio, making it easy to switch from glassing to shooting in seconds. Uh, to save some dough, use that promo code LONESTAR10 when you check out at eurooptic.com. That's across all Vortex products, by the way, eurooptic.com. All right, jumping back into it with Jesse Dubell. Um, a couple more things to get into, and one that comes to mind, Jesse. Does your state have a constitutional right to uh, hunt and fish? Not obviously not trap, I guess, but because Texas, and this is also, we've seen this across the board. I'd say the last three or four years. So, well, a lot of it had to do with COVID, right? More people were outdoor recreating than in the last 15 or 20 years because it's like we have all this free time oh yeah i remember how much fun i i had when i used to hunt and fish and they went back to that and then states were being proactive because of well anti-hunting legislation being forced down our throats in a lot of cases and we see all of this this reactionary legislation of no we have a constitutional right to hunt and fish uh in texas we we passed one i don't know if, what new mexico's situation is on that so that it's, I'll try not to be long-winded on this because I know you know you you've got a time, limited amount of time here, but we don't have one. To get mm. one would be essentially a constitutional amendment. One was introduced just a couple of years ago, but it was introduced during the time that the New Mexico Wildlife Federation was working to clarify our state constitution's verbiage relating to stream access and i know i think you and i've yeah. talked a little yeah, about yeah. this access issue uh-huh. um but the constitution is very very clear that the public has a right to recreate in the public rivers and streams of the state as long as they're accessed publicly you know that you're not trespassing to get to or get out of the waterway well while that stream access case was going on a, a bill was introduced that was a constitutional right to hunt and fish well it's looked like on the surface that it was a really great bill and anybody who cared about hunting and fishing should support it. But there was a poison pill 
that was embedded in that bill that would have altered the Constitution's uh, approach to stream access, to the public accessing the streams in New Mexico. And it was a brilliant tactic by those individuals that didn't want the public to be able to wade up the water or float down it. And so I had to, as the executive director of the state's oldest and largest hunting organization, I had to oppose a constitutional right to hunt and fish in the state because it contained this poison pill that would have been terrible for our stream access issues. So we were, we got the bill killed. And as you can imagine, I took a ton of heat for that. Like, wait a second, why are you killing this bill that's titled, you know, the right to hunt and fish? Because a lot of folks who follow legislation don't follow it much past the title. They read the right. title. It sounds like a great bill. And then here I am opposing it and getting it killed. So we successfully got that bill killed very, very quickly. Uh, but I am currently working with other state legislators to get a new bill drafted that would do the same thing, but without that poison pill in it. So we don't currently have that, but it's something we'd like to see. Right on, right on. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole thing and going back to this bear and cougar situation, it's being proactive, right? Uh, and I've, we've, we talk about this, it seems like a lot more than we used to, but we're doing a better job as a hunting community of being proactive instead of reactive. Um, that's just, that's the landscape we exist in now with social media and these very organized anti-hunting factions out there. Um, it is something that we have to do, be on the attack instead of always on the defensive. Yeah, I think you're right. And I also think that hunters are starting finally to wise up a little bit on how they promote the activity, on how they promote themselves and their involvement in the activity and things like that. I mean, there was... When social media first became real popular, there was a lot of posts that that weren't doing hunters any favors, you know, and and nothing illegal about that. Nothing wrong with it. People, I'm, you know, I'm loud and proud about what I do, and it's like, okay, that's fine. To Maybe a point, take the but, arrow out of the animal, <laughs> yeah. <you're> on. <laughs> Especially with that terrible gut shot that you just yeah. made. Right. Uh, but whatever, yeah, you know, it, it's it's not a matter of whether or not you're doing something illegal or unethical or wrong it's just a matter of taking a moment to consider how how you might be affecting someone who doesn't have a strong position one way or the other as you and i both know i mean the people who want to put an end to this thing we're not going to do anything to change their minds but there's so many people that are that haven't made up their mind and we need to do everything we possibly can to ensure that as they form their decisions they're on our side of the fence i'm going to lob you a grenade here uh and I recently had Matt Ranella on, uh, the <laughs> strange brother of Steve Ranella. Oh yeah, I know Matt. And he's got this hunt quietly movement where he doesn't, you know, he he doesn't like me because I make a living off of, you know, doing the sure. show. Uh, I'm not putting gratuitous, you know, violent kill shots. I mean, I, I, of course, I'm proud of some of the stuff that I shoot, and I'll put a trophy shot up there. I don't care. Um, not with a lot of blood, you know. Try to keep it clean and. Because I think that's where you can lose the people on the fence is if it's really gory. Yeah, I mean, hunting is pretty gory and violent. And at the end of the day, you're killing something and eating it. But you can portray it in a respectful manner. Um, but where, what is your take on, on trophy photos? And this doesn't have to be you know, from New Mexico Wildlife Federation, but Jesse's thoughts on, on that. Well, mine, I think, are the same as the Wildlife Federations would be, and, and that is that context really matters. You know, the context of the photo is important. So how much blood is there? I mean, I, it might be a little irrelevant. Obviously, you clean off some of the blood, make it look as presentable as possible. That's fine. But even if it is a pretty bloody, gory photo, 
I, I want there should be some story around it. What does it mean? What was that event? Are you just are you happy because you got to cover an animal in blood, or is it because of the experience, the challenge, what what went into the whole thing, the preparation, the planning, the meals that are going to be had ahead, the brutal pack out that it's going to take to get that doll sheep off the mountain? All of that stuff really matters. You know, you might remember 2018, a game commissioner from the state of Idaho hunted in Africa and killed a family of baboons. I don't know oh, yeah, if he, he got fired. Well, he post he had a picture of all of these baboon family like posed to where the mother baboon was holding the baby almost as though it's like cradling this dead baby baboon. Yeah. And then the photo circulated all over, you know, social media and the internet and everywhere else. It leaked out somehow. I don't think the commissioner is the one who who leaked it. He sent it to somebody and then somebody posted it and it got everywhere. But what you had there was this photo with no context. And you, it's not hard to imagine why a ton of people would be offended by by seeing that photograph. But the but the real context is I've never been to Africa, but I know enough about it to know that baboons in Africa are essentially like a nuisance species. I mean they're they're I've shot at their ass in running away. I don't know how many <laughs> times I've never killed one. I want to, you know. <laughs> But my, the PHs aren't really, we're not saying, they're not saying we're going baboon hunting today. It's all just like, there's baboon. They've already seen us. They're running away. Hey, if you can, you know, spray and pray. But they treat them like we treat feral hogs in Texas. I mean, they're a nuisance. They get in the agricultural fields. They, they, they eat the agriculture. You, you don't leave someone in camp. You leave a hunting camp unattended. The baboons come in and just wreck it. Uh, uh, irrigation stuff for the wildlife. They, they've made land improvements. They tear that up. Uh, destroy trail cameras. I mean, they are, they're cool animals, right? But they are destructive. So, yeah. And I think, so it's, it's, there's the context, I, I, the context. <laughs> exactly. If you have a photograph of a family of baboons, including an infant with a bullet hole in its head, that without any context is, is a completely different image yeah. than something that has a lot of context behind it. You see the same thing with kangaroos in Australia. I mean, they're, they're a complete nuisance animal. They got professionals whose job is just to kill these kangaroos meanwhile in the united states you have the anti-hunters saying you can't use kangaroo leather to make soccer shoes and it's like oh, well they're going to kill them anyway it's not like you're killing more My kangaroos they're all soccer cleat. You, know? you know i still play soccer every monday <laughs> oh i didn't every know monday that night i played an over 30 league and my favorite soccer boot uh, throughout my entire life has been the copa mundial from adidas and it's made out of kangaroo leather so there you go. I don't think they're going to make them out of kangaroo leather anymore. You can look into that, but I think that might be a thing of the past, not because there's a shortage of kangaroos and not because it's going to save a single kangaroo's life. You right. know, the kangaroos are still going to be killed. They have to be cold because they're so overpopulated, but it's, it's just this disconnect between reality and this fantasy world that so many people kind of exist in. But the going back to the context, if you saw a kangaroo with a little Joey coming out of the pouch, it's like this beautiful, cute little image, uh, yeah. you know, and, and so back to the tro to answer your question on the trophy photos, I think people just need to be very um, mindful about controlling the way that the photos perceived by someone who wasn't there when it was taken. And the only way yeah. you can do that is to provide some context behind it. And I, I will say there are times when blood is unavoid unavoidable, like I shot an elk in New Mexico in 2016 in the chest at 14 yards. That animal weighed 700 pounds. There was no moving that and cleaning up the amount of blood <laughs> on that. I was just, so I was like, mm, okay, here's an educational photo on a frontal shot on an elk at close yardage and the devastation, you know, a broadhead can do. And 
Here, here's your result. If you, have you ever shot an animal in the chest? No. I had never shot one in the chest until that moment occurred, right? Um, but it did look like a crime scene, and we didn't have the the ability to, you know, clean it all up. Yeah, sure. Situation. And that's, you know, and that's okay. And, and, and where photos are posted, that's another thing. You know, I mean, if, if you're going to post it on your social media account that's followed by your friends and people like that, then that's a different thing than going on to some public wildlife page where maybe 90% of the people viewing that page are photographers or veterinarians or zoologists who, who don't hunt you might reconsider what photo you would post on that page compared to a page that's only going to be seen by your friends and followers. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think hunters are getting a lot better than they used to be about this thing. Um, and, and I, I'm seeing improvements there and I'm happy to see that because that was one of the biggest fears that I had is that we were going to destroy our own image through social media. And we did to some extent, but I, I, again, I think we're seeing it uh, start to get better. One thing I've learned over the course of doing this for almost 15 years is that people hunt for different reasons. I always thought yeah, everyone is, uh, you know, at least on some level, we're doing it from a conservation standpoint. But I had this guy in studio, Baker Levitt, a couple, uh, maybe a month ago, and he opened my eyes. He was like, I don't think about conservation one iota when I'm hunting. You know, it's a great byproduct, but I just hunt because I like to do it. You know, I don't, the other stuff, he's like, that has nothing to do with why I hunt. I was like, huh, that's an interesting opinion or, you know, viewpoint. But I thought about it. I was like, I bet you there's a lot of folks that don't really oh, for, think about that. Component. I mean, I've been on waterfowl hunts where the entire focus of the hunt is the camaraderie and the blind. It's the ribbing and the jokes and the breakfast burritos and the meals and all. Like the waterfowl hunt itself is kind of like second uh, priority to the just the the relationships that are existing uh -huh. and building and forming and the memories being made inside the blind i prefer to, to hunt alone most of the time i'm kind of a solo hunter and so you know i i think i told you a couple of years ago i did a month-long caribou trip in alaska 211 river miles on a pack raft all 100 solo and it was all about the adventure the personal challenge you know overcoming obstacles being self-reliant all of that stuff i wasn't up there necessarily thinking about the conservation contributions i was making by by pursuing this caribou so different hunts i i mean i hunt for different reasons for different species you know if i'm going on a dove hunt with a bunch of buddies yeah it's going to be a social event if i'm doing a backcountry elk hunt generally it's going to be a solo type you know spiritual event for me so mm -hmm. even even for me it always yeah. varies the only thing that's consistent for me generally is food you know i'm i'm really big into the wild game food scene and so i'm always thinking about the next recipe i can make with the animal i'm pursuing but other than that i hunt for a lot of different reasons well you think Often, about uh upland hunters or like texas quail hunting for example but there's seasons where the diehard uh pointing enthusiasts the, the the bird dog guys they don't even kill a quail but they do it for the pageantry of the dog work you know and the uh, nostalgia of of the way it used to be, uh, but they could care less if they killed a bird. They just want to see their dog point a cubby. And I applaud yeah, that no, too. That's, <laughs> no, that's, a, that's absolutely right. And a lot of the houndsmen in New Mexico, you know, the New Mexico Houndsman Association has a lot of guys that chase raccoons, you know, and they do these nighttime coon hunts and stuff. And more often than not, I would say they don't shoot the raccoons. They don't kill them. Like they go and the dogs tree them and they put them up in a tree and they shine them with a, a flashlight and they see their eyes in the tree. And, that's a raccoon caught and they pull the dogs off and they go chase another raccoon. And, and that's not, 
I mean, well, they, they do that with bears too, though. And mountain lions, it's like, well, that's a female. We're going to let it go, you know? Yeah. Or this is day one of your hunt. We, you know, let's, let's find something bigger, you know? Let's find a more mature boar. Because, I mean, we know that certainly with, with bears, brown and black, like big boars are like the big, like infant side uh, is a major population control method. Um, big boars kill a lot of young bears. Sure. Absolutely. They do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but what's challenging when you get into the hound hunting is that it's, there's so few people doing it anymore. And I've hunted mountain lions behind hounds one time, the 10 day hunt, unbelievable experience, didn't end up killing a lion. You know, anybody that, and I heard it over and over and over at, at the game commission meeting in the public comment period where people say, well, where's the challenge? This is just some macho man. What challenge is it to go hunt behind dogs just so you could show up and shoot a terrified animal out of a tree? And it's like, obviously those people haven't had the experience. The 10 day lion hunt through some of the most rugged country in this state was one of the hardest hunts I've ever been on in my entire life. I mean, it was physically demanding to the point oh, yeah. where I, I would give just about anything to have someone who made one of those comments in the meeting try to keep up with the pack of hounds i was following like good luck i did three trips to colorado 18 days before we caught the right lion you know we let three or four go before we caught the right one and and those were all females and i ended up killing a female but that was on a private ranch and the deal with the landowner was i've lost two foals to a mountain lion whatever you catch you have to kill it and it was the guy now we're on day 18 third trip and i look at wayne and i said well it's a female right and he goes yep so well i guess we have to kill it And he goes either you kill it or i kill it i was like well if you kill it then we have to go kill another one you know because i you know i'm gonna kill it so he's like but if you want a big tom then i'll kill it and i was like i think we've earned it you know we did it on dry ground which was the whole thing that i wanted to do we made a deal with the landowner. We're now helping him with, you know, his his issue with livestock. There's no reason we need to kill two. So uh, it ended up being the right the right lion, even though it was a female. Generally speaking, he doesn't kill females. So you know, there's. I think I think that message in and of itself would be a good one for a lot of the young houndsmen. Is uh, you know, because there is the temptation of social media and putting, you know, killing a young or a female uh, bear or lion or whatever. Um, I think that, and that was my guide's biggest gripe was all the young guys just going out there and indiscriminately killing whatever they catch. So, I don't yeah, know. well, you know, I had an outfitter, we were talking about the wanton waste rule and he, he was super excited about the idea that bears would have to be taken out because his concern was that as a, as a hound hunter who, who focuses on bears in the Gila, his biggest gripe is that he wants to go later in the season because it's super hot, right? Southern New Mexico, mm -hmm. August, September, it's hot for the dogs. You know, that's a long chase. It's a hard chase. It's dry country and it's tough on the dogs. He wants to wait till the weather cools down before he starts hunting with his hounds. The problem is, is the zones are closing before the weather cools down enough for him to want to go out. And the reason the zones are closing is because everybody who draws an archery elk license in the Gila buys a bear tag. Yeah. And they're opportunistic and they end up shooting a female bear. And then that female bear limit gets reached and the zone closes. And this guy who, who counts on bear hunting to make his living 
gets shut down before he's ever even started his season. And so when we were talking about the wanton waste thing, his, his ears perked up like crazy. He said, man, that would be amazing because people who draw a Gila elk tag are not going to spend three days out of their elk hunt dealing with packing out an over-the-counter black bear. Right. He said, as long as they could leave the carcass out there, they'll they'll skin it out and take the hide. That's no problem. That's a half-day loss. But if you got to take the entire bear, that's a lot more work. And he was thinking that if we get the wanton waste bill passed, then fewer elk hunters buy bear tags. Fewer bears, especially female bears, are killed, and his zone stays open longer so he can hunt with his hounds when the weather gets cooler. So that was his rationale for it. I mentioned earlier there are other outfitters who didn't like the idea of having to to pack out some of the meat. But I think now, especially after this Baron Cougar comment rule, I think the hunting community in New Mexico universally recognizes the importance of getting the wanton waste statute expanded to include bears, cougars, and javelina. Uh, and hopefully we can get that done. I mean, we we passed first committee last session that we had this introduced. No problem. 100% support. Everything was phenomenal. Then it got held up by the chairwoman of the next legislative committee, and she absolutely refused to give the bill a hearing. And that, that's not accidental. I mean, that someone, yeah. somebody didn't want that bill to move forward. And, uh, you know, I know who that likely was, but, <laughs> and I know the reasons for it. Right. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we were beat. I mean, we didn't get it passed and they know we want to get that passed. And now it's a race almost like, do we pass wanton ways? We got to get wanton ways passed before they pass the hound hunting ban is what it kind of feels like from where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. Well, kudos to you guys for being proactive like we like we said that's been a big part of today's conversation is is uh not being always just on our heels you know so it's a it's an ever evolving game we're playing with the anti-hunters and it's time that we like i said we take it to them sometimes and get these these bills passed proactively um jesse man i appreciate the time today you know i love your state it's one of my favorite places to uh, outdoor recreate, hunting, fishing, whatever, hiking. It's a beautiful state. Um, I've never, I can't say I've ever had a, a bad time being outdoors in, in New Mexico. So um, I look forward to heading back there in a couple of weeks with a stick and string in hand. No, that's fantastic, man. Well, I'll be gone for a couple of weeks in the backcountry helping a buddy on an elk hunt. But uh, after I get back, maybe we'll check in. I'd love to see some photographs of your hunt and hear about how it went. I'm, I'm sure it'll be fantastic. And appreciate you coming to New Mexico as often as you do, Cable. We we certainly welcome you coming out here and spending your hard-earned money in our state and enjoying our publicly owned natural resources and advocating for their protection and responsible use going forward. So we really appreciate you, man. Well, hopefully there'll be a, a nice trophy photo of a, at least a five by five. If not, I'm just going to crawl in a hole and die because I've, <laughs> I've, I've struck out on elk like the last four, four years. So, uh, but hey, public land elk hunting for a flatlander is, it's addicting, but uh, it's challenging. I think that's what keeps me going back is it's not a slam dunk. Yeah, for sure. Well, have a fan- <laughs> oh, that it will. We'll have a fantastic hunt cable. Thanks for having yeah. me on, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And uh, your, the website, uh, if you want to give yeah. that. www.nmwildlife.com. 
nmwildlife.org. NM, like New Mexico, just abbreviated, nmwildlife.org. We've got a news button up there. You can follow all of the, the stories. The most recent one is a full comprehensive report of how the Friday's Game Commission meeting went. Mm-hmm. Friday's Game Commission meeting was the last hearing for the Baron Cougar rule before the commission takes action. So they didn't vote at the meeting. They'll vote at the next meeting. Uh, on adopting the department's proposal. Well, this was the last chance for the public to weigh in. And as I mentioned, Cable, largely because of the help of Howl for Wildlife, the hunting community across the United States of America was able to outperform those who wish to see an end to bear and cougar hunting by approximately three comments to one. So thanks to everybody who took awesome. time out of their day to get involved in that. Awesome work. And is there a link there where you could subscribe to the newsletter? That I mean, I get there. Sure is, and, and okay, it's free. Uh, doesn't cost anything. So any anybody who wants to receive our monthly newsletter certainly can. In addition to the newsletter, we send out regular updates when something super important is happening that we feel like people need to know about. Uh, we'll send an alert out to let folks know. All right, and we'll close with this thought because I think it's important to remind folks: uh, this is happening in New Mexico. Don't have a laissez-faire mindset about, oh, that's New Mexico. It doesn't affect me in Texas or me in Louisiana or, you know, I'm up here in Montana. No, it affects all of us. They come for the low-hanging fruit and, and they do it state by state by state. Um, so be, get involved on a state level. And when you see these these actions come up in, you know, another state, hey, get, get involved in that situation too. It doesn't take 30 seconds to comment how for wildlife does all the, the – the background, the legwork for you, you just say, my name is this and I oppose this. And then you send it and it goes to the appropriate person and it makes a difference. So uh, don't, don't be negligent, be proactive. All right, Jesse. Well, thank you so much, man. Have a great season. Good luck on your Same. Tuesday hunt. All right. Thanks, man. So there he goes. Jesse Dubell, executive director of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Always great catching up with Jesse. Uh, New Mexico truly is one of my favorite uh, states to hunt, but we kind of hit on it. it. New Mexico is very poor, which lends itself towards that left-leaning government handout mindset. And when that happens, well, you know, it starts to trickle down and eventually affects wildlife management. Uh, and that's what we're seeing there today. So we'll continue to uh, check in with Jesse from time to time as our neighbors to the west uh, continue to to fight this battle head on as the antis are relentless and they are organized. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation and Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Jesse. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great weekend dove hunting, and we'll see you next week.